Wyatt, is that you up there? Who is that? Who's up there? Yes. Cody. Cody, can you put those blinds down on those windows? Just pull those chains. It's like, yeah, the heavens are opening up. So, um, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's going to be good. Um, well, we've probably all had experiences in our life where we thought we had something right, but in reality, we had it all wrong, right? Like those song lyrics that you thought you knew, man. I mean, you were convinced that the song said this, and then you get in the car with your friends, and you start belting it out, and your friend's like, what did you just say? Like, that's not the lyrics at all, you know, something, something hideous, or maybe you're at a family gathering and you're, you're telling a story that you're just, for sure, this is how it happened. And all of a sudden your mom's like, that didn't happen. It didn't go like that at all. Or maybe we pronounced a word a certain way, the wrong way, come to find out, or thought we knew what a word meant until we used it in a sentence. And somebody was like, I don't think that means what you think it means, right? Well, maybe we came into this sermon series about kind of this God of all comfort with kind of a how or a why or a when, Um, God comforts us, and it could have been based on just some common misperceptions that we've had or wishful thinking or even previous biblical teaching on the subject. But now, because of some new insights, we have to realign our understanding of the nature of who God is and what he offers us, the kind of comfort that he offers us. We've had to make room in our hearts for what I hope has been a, a much richer and more full definition of comfort. Because we talked right out of the gate and we established that the biblical interpretation of that word that we translate comfort um, has a very different meaning than the modern interpretation of that word. The comfort God offers us is not the easy life. It's not to remove us from difficult circumstances but it's meant to strengthen and encourage us and make us brave in the midst of our troubles. And we have to get that mindset correct if we're going to receive the comfort that God has for us and ultimately be able to pass it on to anybody else, okay? So as a quick refresher, when we first began this series and we took a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which is where kind of this verse comes from, I gave you kind of the context of what Paul was going through when he wrote this letter. Okay, Paul had at one point gone to the city of Corinth, which was in Greece for the first time, bringing the message of Jesus Christ. And so he had loved and served and poured into that community for many years. And he had established and built up leadership in that church so that then he could move on to another city and do the same thing. He, he cared about those people. But now reports are starting to get back to him that some folks there had, were starting to kind of question his authority and were kind of attacking his credibility and his character. And it was a kind of a crushing spirit of criticism that left Paul um, just heartbroken that these people that he had loved were now um, kind of turning on him a little bit. And as he took up his pen to write them this letter, we noticed right out of the gate um, in verse 3, it said the first thing he wrote was what? This is a test. Praise be, right? Praise be. In the midst of the trouble, before Paul knows how this whole thing's going to kind of turn out and whether his credibility is going to be restored or what he's going to have to face, he says, God be the glory no matter how it goes because of his great love for me. You see, Paul was familiar with trials. 
and the trials that we experience in life inevitably, inevitably provide God with the opportunity to humble us. And humility is the path to glory. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. How many of you know that right now you're being humbled in some area, and you know it's for your good? Now, anybody want to share just an example real quick? Like, I know I'm being humbled in this way, and it's probably a good thing for me. Nope, nobody wants to share. Awesome. Great. Yes, Zach. Marriage. Yes. Marriage is humbling. Exactly. Yes. You're finding out you're not as cool as you thought you were, right? Yeah. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Yeah. Me with my physical condition. Uh-huh. Yeah, having to ask for help because of a physical condition and an ailment, right? You're not used to that. Rob, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so letting go of control. Great. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many parents are out there, but parenting is like one long stream of humble, humbling, right, and humility. Um, and you know that it's for your good, uh, for sure. And Paul was a proud man. When you look at his history, his, his past, his former life, he was this elite religious scholar, kind of top of his class, Pharisee. So this guy was the most educated in Jewish society, um, the most respected. He, he walked into a room and people noticed him and knew who he was. He had authority and power um, in his former way of life. And so pride was something ingrained in Paul that he was probably always going to battle his whole life, a lot like it is for me. Um, and God loved him enough to drive that pride out of him by any means necessary. So if it meant that Paul had to get a little resistance from the Corinthians, that his, his character, his authority had to be questioned, God was willing to allow that to happen to kind of remind Paul, hey, you're not invincible here, All right? I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 1. It's page 1052. Page 1052. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So now we're getting to the why question. Okay? Why does God comfort us? Paul says, so that, okay, or for the purpose of comforting others who are experiencing trouble of their own. So we've talked about this before, is that any gift that God gives us is always to be shared. It's, it's for the benefit of someone else, okay? It's never simply for our own benefit. So the comfort we receive from God becomes this gift then that we have to then steward, how will we use what God has given us 
any comfort that we've received in troubles at various times in our life to overflow and multiply to those around us. That's what God is looking for. First, we have to begin with this issue of receiving because we can't give away what we don't have. Okay? Now, many of us, when our circumstances turn south in life, if we're honest, most of us, what we really want is we just want the pain to go away. We just want it to go away. We want God to remove the obstacles, maybe punish the people who are hurting us, right? Just, you know, break a, break a leg or, you know, pull a muscle, nothing deaf, but, you know, let them get theirs a little bit. But just make it feel better and quickly and with as little effort demanded of us as possible, right? So when God instead comes to us and says, no, my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of the pain. And, and I want to do something in your character and shape you in the darkness that you're in right now, in the valley of the shadow of death that we looked at, Psalm 23, a few weeks ago. And my comfort is my presence. And my instruments are my rod and my staff. And I'll choose how I want to use those in your life to accomplish what I want to accomplish in this season. And all of this I do because I love you and I want to strengthen you and I want to make you brave in the valley because life is hard. Are we willing to receive that kind of comfort? Because if we're only interested in pain alleviation through some form of quick fix, we're not going to have much to offer anyone else. So we have to receive the comfort that God is offering us, the way in which he wants to go about doing it, and we have to trust that it's good. Okay, so that's our starting point if we're going to be able to be people that can give comfort away. Okay, let's look at verse 5. It says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Let's hold up there for a moment. Is that your expectation for the Christian life? Read that again. Because guys, we follow a suffering servant. Okay, that's what scripture calls Jesus. He's a savior, scripture says, who was acquainted with grief. He was familiar with persecution and with trials and betrayal, and he was harassed, he was rejected, he was despised. We follow a Savior who, when he sent his disciples out two by two in Matthew chapter 10, he told his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he said, you will be flogged, you will be persecuted, people will hate you because of me. 
Peter, who experienced that persecution and gave his life for the gospel, he wrote this to remind us of that reality in 1 Peter 4. He says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Basically he's saying, hey, Jesus said it was going to be like this. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see, Paul understood this reality all too well. One of my favorite prayers that he wrote in his letter to the Philippians says this. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. I I memorized that verse in college. And it's one thing to memorize a verse like that. It's another thing to mean the words that I'm saying out loud. And I think probably as a 19 or 20 year old and I was saying, yeah, I want to fellowship in your sufferings, become like you in your death. Like what I understood of what that meant at that point compared to what I understand about what that calling means now is two totally different things. So I think God is gracious that he meets us in kind of wherever we are in the journey. But some of these things that Paul writes and that we're supposed to emulate, like you, you need to stop we all do, and kind of like say, hmm, wow, I want to know Christ to the level at which I'm willing to share and fellowship in his sufferings and become like him in his death. That's a different standard. And guys, the reality is, is that Paul lived in a much different context than we do. That's obvious. I mean, his life and ministry were marked by severe trials and tests. And Paul knew, as we talked about earlier in the story and during the focus time, he knew the fog and the mist of troubles, right? His life was kind of this constant drip of suffering, which made his, his heart really beautiful as a result. And he also knew that the early churches that he was establishing were going to suffer too, and he had to prepare them for that, Okay? You want to talk about a tough sell. It's one thing for us in our American culture today, you know, for me to stand before you guys and to offer you this amazing relationship with Christ. Because when you think about it, I mean, there are a lot of benefits, right? I mean, forgiveness, unconditional love, eternal life, freedom. I mean, you know, you can go on. And the reality is is that even though that sounds amazing and really is and should be received like that, very few people are even signing up for that in our culture. Now imagine Paul talking about those very same benefits in his time, first century A.D. in the Roman Empire and saying, hey, um, and also if you align yourself with Jesus, you're going to be aligning yourself against the Roman Empire. And you're probably going to be on surveillance (laughs) and you might be persecuted. You might actually be tortured and killed for believing in Christ. Who's with me, right? You better believe those folks are thinking about that commitment, of what it means to say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus and and identify myself with him. It was a life and death situation. And so they needed comfort, right? But Paul wanted to make sure that it was the right kind of comfort that they were looking for. 
he couldn't tell them, hey, everything's going to be okay. I mean, ultimately it will be, <laughs> but maybe not in the here and now. It might be actually pretty rough. But the good news is, as he's writing to them, he's saying, guys, listen, the comfort abounds. The comfort abounds to the proportion in which you suffer. God raises the comfort to, to, to balance that out. He meets you with whatever it is that you need. I want to spend the rest of the time here on these last two verses, verses 6 and 7. Let's take a look at those. It says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I came across a story this week um, about a, a Presbyterian minister who led the Reformation in Scotland in the late 1500s. Actually, his name is on one of the stained glass windows in the back because this used to be a Presbyterian church. His name is John Knox. And this was the story. It says, Mr. Knox, a little before his death, rose out of his bed and being asked wherefore, being so sick, he would offer to rise, he answered that he had had sweet meditations of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that night. And now he would go into the pulpit and impart to others the comforts that he felt in his soul. Don't you love that? He got off his deathbed because God had comforted in some way and he desperately wanted his congregation to know the comfort that he'd received. You see, when we take seriously the command that Paul writes to love one another deeply, and the people in these pews become more than just, yeah, people that we share space with on Sunday morning, but they become dear to us. Guys, as I was in here this morning singing, I mean, I hadn't been here in a couple weeks, and so it was good to be here. But what is really good about being here is that I'm singing these songs about the goodness of God and being grateful for who he is in the context of community. I know how God has comforted Devin and Stacy Kearns and Bill and Stephanie Burr and Rich and Shelley Fox. And I mean, I can go on. I know their stories. And I know what they have to offer other people. And I know how desperately they want others to have the hope that they've received at different times in their life through the comforts of God. And, and so as we live this enmeshed, entangled life that God calls us into as a family. Everything that God does and every event that happens in our life takes on completely different context and meaning. It gets, it gets so much out of just our own experience into what is God doing potentially through me that might benefit the greater good around me. Guys, here's our problem. Our problem is that our desire for a safe and comfortable life is really a lack of love for our neighbor. Why is that true? Or how is that true? I'm asking you a question now. Yeah, Kels.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so when we, we make the choice to stay safe and comfortable, we're also making the choice to not bear the burdens of other people because that's potentially exhausting and risky and challenging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If comfort can only be given through suffering, um, then yeah. If we don't suffer, we don't have something to offer somebody else, right? In that needed moment. What else? Part of it's just kind of ignorance, right? I mean, we make a choice when we live in St. Joe, how to live our life, right? If we want to, we can stay in certain parts of town where we can kind of not really see much of the suffering that goes on here on a daily basis. It's a choice. Where we choose to shop or eat or live or go to church or whatever. Uh, we, we can orchestrate and control if we want to and keep ourselves kind of blind or ignorant to the realities of the suffering around us. We can choose to do that. Yeah. In my circumstance, there's people around my neighborhood, and there's a lot of drugs. I belong to a program that's not using drugs as a solution to this. They don't want a relationship with me because of this. They want to do what they want to do. Sure. So, you know, it's not, that, it's not that we don't put forth effort and make the information available about God. Mm -hmm. It's just there's a denial there. Yep. And, you know, it's a matter of respecting the boundaries. Yeah, true. They have to come to their own understanding, and I can't force that upon them. Right. But you're there for them. Yes. You're ready, right? I can help or I can help them or I will suffer in an uncomfortable situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Randy's saying there's people, there's, you know, lots of drug addicts, obviously, in our town, and he works with uh, N.A., uh, trying to help people get clean, but they have to want that. Um, but I know that he's putting himself in places where people know the opportunity's there, right? He's available for them to help them if they want help. So, and uh, guys, a lot of times I think, especially early on in our life, and when we make these safe and comfortable choices, I don't think that we are purposely thinking, I'm doing this to not love other people, <laughs> I mean, some of you might, but most of us aren't thinking that through, okay? But that is the reality of the, that choice. So just something to think about. When we do our best to orchestrate and control the variables of life and try to limit any potential for suffering, we simply don't have much to offer others. Certainly not a true image of what it means to be a follower of Christ, because if you follow a suffering servant, follow a suffering servant, our life should include some suffering, right? We should look like our leader. And in Paul, we see this amazing example of someone who understood the bigger picture, his suffering so that other people might benefit. It's this other-centered perspective that no matter what, whether it was good times or bad, whether he was experiencing suffering or comfort, that it all be for the benefit 
of someone else, as he wrote, so that we might win some for Christ, right? In that long passage, Paul says, I become all things to all people so that I might win some, so that the church might be built up and strengthened and encouraged and made brave. Guys, we often pray, or at least we should be praying, Lord, use me to touch other people, other people's lives, right? How many of you have prayed a prayer like that in your life? Lord, use me to touch other people, right? Most of us have prayed something like that, some sentiment like that, okay? And the question really is, what do we mean when we pray that? What do we really mean? Do we mostly mean, God, use my talents and gifts to be a benefit to somebody else, right? Like my speaking, my singing, my compassion, um, my generosity, um, whatever it might be. I'm great with kids. God, use the things you've given me to benefit somebody else, like to touch another life, right? How many of you are like, yeah, that's probably what I've meant most of the time, right? Yeah, me too. But are we also open to this, guys? <laughs> are we also open to him allowing us to suffer so that others may benefit. What if touching the lives of others means that God allows us to get cancer or lose our job or get injured in sports or suffer undeserved humiliation in the public arena? I love this quote by uh, Pastor Tony Evans says this, it's one thing to tell others what God can do even when we have the Bible in hand. It's a whole different ballgame when we've been there ourselves and put our Bible knowledge to the test in our own experience. God allows our troubles because he sees our opportunity coming. He knows someone else will need the benefit of our experience. When people in life are getting ready to go through kind of maybe new and scary things, maybe they're getting a surgery or a procedure or, or chemo, or maybe they're going through um, marriage counseling for the first time, or they're getting ready to be a first-time parent or whatever, who do they seek out? I'm asking. Somebody who's already been there, right? Somebody who's done that before. But do we only want to hear their success stories? No. I mean, we want to hear, too, about the times when it didn't go well, right? Unless it was like, you know, yeah, a surgery, and you're like, no, don't tell me those stories, right? But most of the time, we want to hear success and failure. I've met with many different church planters over the years, um, who've asked me kind of like, you know, tell me about the Wellspring church process and planting and what that was all like. And in those moments, I'm really glad that I have some rough stories to share with them. Um, because, you know, there was definitely multiple times in those first three or four years where you kind of felt like you were walking on like a razor's edge. I mean, a couple things go one way or the other, a few bad months of no money or a staff blow up or whatever, and it wouldn't be, it was just delicate. It's kind of like starting a new business, you know? Um, 
But man, to be able to sit across from somebody and say, hey, you know, yeah, we've been here 12 years now and, you know, we're kind of a big deal. No. Um, to be able to say, like, what you see now is not what it was like, right? And those times, those stories that I can share with them felt like suffering to me at the time. But now they're like this beautiful gift to somebody else who's on that path to say, hey, you know, you can get through it. It's going to be tough. There's going to be some setbacks. Let me just ask you this question. How have others benefited from your suffering? Or how have you benefited from the suffering of someone else? Anybody have an example of how your suffering has benefited somebody else or how somebody else's suffering has benefited you? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so Tracy lost her, her dad um, at a pretty young age. And um, so now anybody that has a similar experience like that seeks her out. Um, and she's got some things to share that hope, probably hopefully brings some, some comfort to someone in there. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Kelly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. So Kelly was adopted and she's able to share that as a school social worker with kids who may be struggling with different issues related to family and their upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Brittany grew up without a dad involved in her life, and it's given her a platform to speak into other kids' lives who maybe have had similar experiences. It's good. Well, guys, everything that happens to us in life is there for the benefit of someone else. And so Paul, in the midst of his own troubling circumstances, knowing that these Corinthians would also surely suffer for the gospel too, he's able to speak comfort into them. He was able to look them in the eye, like it says in verse 7, and to say to them, our hope for you is firm. Our hope for you is firm. Why? <laughs> because God's comfort abounds. God's comfort abounds. That's a promise. Okay? Guys, suffering is not to be avoided. Suffering is not to be avoided. Suffering produces something in us. If we allow it to. Romans chapter 5, Paul says that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then in verse 6 today in 2 Corinthians, we looked at, it also says that comfort produces something in us if we allow it to as well. Verse 6 tells us that the receiving, that receiving God's means of comfort, the kind that encourages and strengthens us and makes us brave, it produces something. It says, Paul says, it produces patient endurance. Patient endurance, the ability to see beyond 
our momentary discomforts to a lasting glory that far outweighs our light and momentary troubles that we're experiencing in the here and now. We can see beyond the curve, right? Um, that's what I try to do when I get together with people in counseling, is I try to paint a picture of what I can see for their life if they'll lean into the suffering that they're in right now and, and kind of allow God to meet them in this time. And, and try to keep their eyes focused on, because I know that if they'll do that, the comfort's there. God's going to give it to them. <laughs> it's just going to be a process, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to confront some of your sinful junk that got you there, and all those things. You have to lean into community. People need hope. <laughs> people need hope. I mean, when people walk through our doors, when kids come to a, a Young Life meeting, on, on a, you know, Wednesday or Thursday night, they might say they're there for one thing, but the underlying need of everybody coming through those doors is hope. Where can I find some of that? And hope that maybe something can change. I mean, that would be great if that was the way it was going to pan out. But more importantly, they need hope that they have a father of compassion and a God of all comfort who has already offered them more than they deserve. They need to know that hope. Because if we can teach other people that truth, it's a game changer in terms of a life perspective. If we can teach people that, hey guys, listen, your life does not have to work out right now. This doesn't have to go your way for you to be okay. You've already been died for. Your Savior's already rose from the dead to forgive you, to make you a new creation, to transform you, to set you free, to give you hope, to give you this full and abundant life. You don't need things in this life to work out in order to be content. And for them to be able to declare with us, praise be, no matter how things go, and that is a gift. So what are we willing to pray for, to endure, so that others might be comforted and saved? Jesus gave us an example of the kind of heart and vision we're to have in our life. I want you to turn to John 12 as we finish up here today, page 980. Sometimes I wish I could give you guys the gift of standing in my shoes on a Sunday morning because y'all are hilarious right now because wheels are turning out there. Like I'm looking at people and they're just like, I can just tell, whoo, man, the things are just mulling over. So text me, tell me, tell me how lunch was today. I can't wait to hear the conversations that you guys are going to have. This is good, good stuff to wrestle with. Okay. Uh, John 12, we're going to look at verse 23. Jesus says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, are we willing to die to our selfish desires? And the carefully orchestrated plans we may have for our lives so that many seeds of comfort might be spread to those around us. Will our hearts be burdened for those lacking hope in this world who need our stories of perseverance and patient endurance through the dual provisions of suffering and comfort? And guys, I just want to close by saying this. This was a hard message to write, um, and I called Justin into my office Friday afternoon, and it's like, and I have these times from time to time where it's like, I don't even know what I have on this piece of paper here. Like, I have no clue whether this is a benefit or not, or just completely sucks, or it's just like, the hard thing is that you're trying to communicate a story, a passage that was written, you know, 50 or 60 AD under very different circumstances, And you're trying to take that out and then put it into our context here. And there's no denying that the circumstances of Paul's life were extremely difficult compared to most of the challenges that we deal with here in the American church in the 21st century. Okay? So when I start talking to you about suffering and stuff, it's like, it's hard to connect with at times. Now, there are some things that are true to the common human nature, whether that's disease, the death of a a father, um, the absence of a parent. I mean, those are things that are the human condition throughout time that we can all relate to, okay? So what I want to do, I guess the posture I want to leave you with here, the thought I want to leave you with as we end this, this sermon series is what I'm talking about is a posture, okay? When you come to God, is there this posture of openness, of yielding, of saying to God, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And whatever that means for me, if it means that I have to suffer, experience some kind of suffering so that other people might benefit, praise be. If it means that for a season my life doesn't have a lot of suffering for whatever reason, maybe so that I can receive something from somebody else, praise be for that too but that we would have this kind of open-handedness with our life. And I guess just kind of have Paul's spirit of, I want to know Christ, whatever that means. There's going to be days when I'm living in the power of his resurrection, and there's going to be days when I'm wallowing a little bit in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And now are we open to allowing the spirit to take us wherever that's going to take us? And is our heart, just this other-centeredness that, God, whatever you need from me or to do with me so that other people might flourish and know the hope that they can have in Christ, Lord, I'm yours. So that's the spirit that I want us to get to, okay? And, and the communion table is a great place to enter into that posture Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday is a great time to come and kind of recenter and enter into that posture. It's not like I want you guys to go out and like 
step out in front of a truck when you walk out of church so you can relate to the next person that deals with that, right? Okay, it's not morbid, all right, but it's just open, and it's a perspective on when life brings you some blows, what goes through your mind? Is it, what was me? Why has that happened to me? Or is it, okay, God, come what may. Like, how do you want to use this so that other people might benefit? So sit in that a little bit, right? What a beautiful illustration of that grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying that we take bread into our mouths today and we drink from the cup, Lord, that, um, that he would just make that tangible to us in just a very sensory way um, today. So we're going to give you some time to pray quietly, and um, the ushers will dismiss you. If you haven't been here before, you'll come up and tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Um, we have a gluten-free uh, crackers that will be down on this end. Um, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just this series the way that you've expanded our minds a little bit on the kind of comfort that you're wanting to offer us. God, I pray that um, we would be people that would encourage and strengthen and make brave others who are in the valley in life. That we would say, Lord, take my pain, take my hurt, my wounds, heal them so that I can pass them on to somebody else. God, that we would have Paul's heart, Lord, that if I was distressed, it was so that somebody else could be comforted. Get us out of our own self-centeredness, Lord, to, to be a sweet offering to others. God, hear our prayers as we just silently come before you right now and just lay our hearts before you.